I'm Alex Shadid, and this is the Policy Options Podcast. Welcome to the Policy Options Podcast, the RPP's public forum for the public good. Last month, Jatinder Mann of the University of Alberta and Andrew Smith of the University of Liverpool released a working paper titled Federalism and Subnational Protectionism, a comparison of the internal trade regimes of Canada and Australia. The paper looks at how the practice of federal politics in each country has affected the trade of goods between subnational units, such as provinces. With Canada being in the midst of an economic downturn and on the verge of signing the biggest free trade agreement in its history, we thought it would be useful to look at how Canada's unique federal arrangement might absorb such drastic change. We caught up with one of the paper's co-authors, Jatinder Mann, via Skype to take a closer look at the issue. So in your paper, you and Andrew Smith argue that Australia has had greater success than Canada at eliminating internal trade barriers. Uh, What factored into your explanation? Um, Well, I'd say there are three um, main arguments that we made. Um, The first is the the legal argument. Um, So um, even though both the Canadian Constitution and the Australian Constitution have sections which do actually stipulate that there should be free trade within their borders, uh, within their kind of territorial jurisdiction, the Canadian courts have been a lot more conservative, um, to use a phrase, um, in interpreting that um, that section of the constitution compared to their Australian counterpart, um, so they haven't kind of interpreted it as actually um, arguing that there should be free trade within its borders. Um, so whenever there's been a case that's been brought um, brought for um, before it, generally speaking, it's kind of always erred on no. It's you know it needs to be defined very narrowly, um, not in a broad sense. Where its Australian counterpart is actually taking, generally speaking, um, a contrary position. Um, the second kind of main argument we make is the um, actual difference in federalism between the two countries. Um, and this has certainly um, been illustrated in recent times um, in the difference of the Council of Australian Governments, um, which is a uh, regular meeting of all um, governments in Australia. So the federal government, which is known as the Commonwealth, and the state governments and the territorial governments. Um, so they meet regularly, at least usually once a year, um, and this has been a really important um, mechanism in which um, inter-state kind of uh, trade barriers have been broken down in Australia. The interesting thing in Canada is um, you have, in, in very an equivalent, um, the uh, meeting of first ministers of the provinces and the territories here as well, um, but especially during the previous government, so the Harper Conservative government, um, there just wasn't that political will to actually participate in that process um, to the extent that um, uh, Stephen Harper actually quite outrightly said, I don't intend to kind of participate in this kind of traditional practice, um, which I we argued, Andrew Smith and I, you know, was a huge uh, detriment to the cause of um, advancing interprovincial trade because if you don't actually have these regular meetings at this top level, um, so, you know, Prime Minister to... To, um, to premier, um, you know, things just don't happen. And then sadly for Canada, they really haven't. Um, and the third argument we make um, is one that, you know, we're quite curious to get feedback on because um, it could be considered controversial in some ways. Um, but, you know, we think there is some sense to it that um, Australia and Canada are quite different countries in, in quite a few ways, uh, as well as having quite a lot of similarities. But one of the differences is the linguistic 
um, divide. So in Canada, obviously, it's a, it's a bilingual country and it's a bilingual country of a very specific type in that, you know, predominantly the, the um, French-speaking parties in Quebec, of course, Ontario and um, uh, New Brunswick, of course, but generally speaking, I mean, Quebec is the, is the largest uh, French-speaking province. Um, so that adds an interesting dynamic when it comes to kind of having agreements on interprovincial trade and breaking down those um, um, barriers. Um, certainly in terms of the political dimensions to that in Quebec, um, and you just don't have that context in Australia. Um, I mean, it's predominantly an English-speaking country. Um, obviously, you know, you have um, Australians speak many other languages, but in terms of nationally, um, English is the is the language, um, and even culturally as well. Um, there aren't as many differences, we would argue, between the different states compared to the um, the different provinces that you get in Canada, especially Quebec and the rest. But even within, um, you know, the provinces, the English-speaking provinces. So you know, the prairies as opposed to um, central Canada, the Maritimes. Um, you don't have as many differences, we argue, in Australia. So uh, Canada's obviously going through a bit of an economic downturn right now. You hear a lot of people talking about how Canada's manufacturing and eastern provinces are going to be playing a bigger role in this sort of economic restructuring. What effect do you think Canada's interprovincial barriers will have on the supposed economic shift? Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, one of the arguments we make in, the, um, in our working paper is that the economic effects of having these barriers between the provinces in terms of, of trade actually is quite is quite significant. Um, it's not you know we're talking quite a lot of um, quite a lot of money here, um, and I think especially when a country is going through a tough economic time, which sadly it looks like Canada is going through, or certainly you know will be going through um, over this the foreseeable future, um, it can certainly have an impact. Um, I mean, I, you know, if you again compare it to Australia, I mean, you know, you don't have these um, these barriers at all. Pretty much, they've mostly been um, um, extinguished, and um, that certainly had a huge positive impact in terms of uh, trade and GDP. And the thing is, you know, even putting it in a broader context, um, you know, for your country to trade with other countries, um, it helps if your own, you know, mark. You know, domestic market is one market. You know, you don't actually have you know, levies or um, uh, taxes. You know, uh, duties put on goods crossing borders. Well, building on that, Canada and Australia have obviously both been involved in discussions surrounding the massive international trade deal, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, a lot of the deal's focus has been on uh, you know, reducing external trade barriers between states involved in the discussions. Now, how do you think that Canada's internal trade barriers have affected Canada's stance on external trade, especially in the context of TPP? Again, a very interesting question. Um, <laughs> I mean, a point we make in the paper, and I mean, this is a bit of a, um, a different example, but I think it relates to the TPP as well. Um, I mean, if you look at NAFTA, for example, um, in a lot of ways, there is freer trade between Canada and the US and Canada and Mexico than there is actually between, you know, the provinces within Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, and I find that quite shocking. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> you know this is supposed to be one country um, and it's been around for a fair while. But, you know, you just don't, you know, have that free market within its own jurisdiction. Um, so I think, you know, more, you know, kind of um, international trade deals like the TPP, I think will put more pressure um, on that kind of inconsistency on, you know, how, why is Canada, you know, negotiating these, you know, bilateral and multilateral trade agreements 
when you know it hasn't even got its own um, mm-hmm. house in order, so to speak. Um, and I think you know, just kind of looking at the provincial dimension. I know from my time um, in London that um, when I had um, uh, contacts and friends at the Quebec government office, um, that they were particularly um, quite active in pursuing trade interests for the province of Quebec. And I know there was an Albertan and an Ontarian um, kind of office in the Canadian High Commission there as well, which did similar stuff. Um, so I think that's an interesting dynamic as well, that you might have particular provinces within Canada who across the board probably keen on the TPP, um, you know, kind of pushing it, you know, for, it, uh, for Canada to um, obviously be a part of it and ratify it. Um, but on the other hand, you know, when it comes to um, trade amongst themselves, you know, there's still there's still these barriers. So it's an interesting situation, uh, and it will be interesting to see how it pans out. Um, but no, I think it will certainly add to the pressure um, to kind of you know move um, in this direction to just have a, a common market within Canada itself. Obviously, a few months ago, there was a massive changing of the House in Canada. A liberal majority was elected and replacing a conservative majority that had been in power for years. Um, do you think that under the liberals, uh, trade barriers are going to grow stronger or weaker? And what is their particular stance on the visit, uh, on the uh, issue? Well, I mean, going back to my um, earlier point about the um, Harper government's position on um, the first minister's meetings, um, that is something um, that both um, Andrew Smith and I hope that the new Trudeau Liberal government will adopt a very different position on, um, in that they will actually be open to having um, you know these regular meetings again. Um, I mean, the signs that I've heard um, would suggest that would be the case. Um, so I think you know. As I was saying, it's so important to have these institutional kind of um, uh, structures in place to discuss these types of matters because it is at these kind of venues that these decisions are made, which the Australian example um, clearly shows. You know, that was what made the difference in Australia compared to Canada in the 90s is that you had these Council of Australian Government meetings where they hashed out these issues. Um, yeah, of course, you know, sometimes discussions got a bit heated and there was compromise required, but at least they're having those conversations and they're having those discussions and debates, um, which you just haven't had in Canada, especially over the last um, decade or so. So hopefully, you know, um, the Trudeau Liberal government will, um, yeah, kind of be more open to that and um, kind of have that practice being put in um, back in place. In terms of their position on um, interprovincial trade, um, as far as I know, I think they are, you know, uh, positive towards it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 you know, the interesting dynamic is always is always Quebec um, because you know it's always been at the um, the forefront of uh, provincial rights for for various reasons. Um, so I think that kind of relationship and you know the negotiations between the federal government and Quebec in particular, I think, will be quite quite kind of well quite significant. Um, and I think if they can agree to move forward on this. I think that will be a major breakthrough. On behalf of the RPP, I'd like to thank Jatinder Mann for taking time away from his research in New Zealand to answer our questions. The link to Jatinder's working paper is in the description, so make sure to check it out for yourself. Jatinder and Andrew are always looking for feedback, so don't hesitate to contact them with your thoughts. As always, feel free to send us your suggestions for authors you'd like to have on the podcast by either tagging at IRPP in a tweet or commenting on our Facebook page. Until next time, I'm Alex Shadid. Thanks for tuning in.